0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Well, Church, we are in Philippians 4 again this morning. Uh, Last Sunday we were in verses 4 through 7. This morning we're going to be in verses 8 and 9. Uh, I was asked this week if I thought we would ever finish the book of Colossians, and the answer is yes, yes we'll likely uh, return to that book beginning next Sunday but really just wanted to come uh to these verses in the book of Philippians at this time because of everything that's going on uh not only in our world but but in our hearts and so if i could go back to last week just for a few minutes what we had said was it's in times like these it's in times of crisis and difficulty uh where there is a chorus of voices that comes out and a chorus of voices that is Uh, surrounding us. And they're not all bad. Some of them are very important. But the point is, is that we're hearing a lot from a lot of different sources about how to stay healthy and how to pass the time and mandates on what we are and are not allowed to do and advice about how to spend your days and how to spend your money or not spend your money. And so in the midst of all those voices, what we're reminded as Christians, uh, the voice that is most important to us and the voice that we most need is God's. And it is from God's voice uh, that God is saying something distinct and God is saying something unique, that his voice offers a word of peace. It offers promises of peace, even in times of crisis. So that's the conversation that we, that we started from this passage last week and saw in this passage last week, that that promise of peace is not automatic it's not something rather that that we stumble into. It's not something that we're accidentally going to experience, but that there are practices that lead to those promises. And so in verses 4 through 7, we saw that, that it's the practice of rejoicing always in Jesus and the practice of being kind in the practice of talking to God, uh, not being given over to anxiety, which is where we make our worries and our wants and our requests known to us over and over and over again. But we take our worries and our wants and requests, and we make them known to God. We talk to God, and His peace, the peace that surpasses understanding, will protect us. That's the promise. Not that there is this existential experience internally of peace that we always have that never goes away, but it's the peace that God possesses that protects us, because he's the God who is never afraid, he's the God who's never lost control. And so just an observation before we jump into the passage this morning, I just want to acknowledge that as, we, as this goes on, as everything going on in our world continues, what's going to happen is, is that these practices both from last Sunday and this morning, they are going to become increasingly more difficult, and at the same time, they're going to become increasingly more important. In a week's time, uh, since we last did this, there are more jobs lost, thousands more who have tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, many more ways that just the destructive ripples of all this have gone out, and all of that has just increased exponentially uh, in a week's time. Rejoice. Be kind. Talk to God. uh, Lean into the promise of His peace protecting us. It's going to become increasingly more difficult and increasingly more important. It's true for what we said last week and also true for what we'll say this morning. We have one more practice that comes from this passage and one more promise that comes from this passage. And we'll look at the promise first. It's in verse 9. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So where we got our word. And then here's the promise, and the God of peace will be with you. It's a promise of God's presence. The God of peace will will be with you. He'll be present with you. And this is what we all need. The story of Scripture would tell us that we were all made for the presence of God, and we're all uh, created to long for the presence of God, whether we whether we know it or not. And, and here's what crisis and suffering is going to do. Crisis and suffering will place us at a fork in the road as it relates to our need for God, as it relates to uh, our longing for the presence of God. Have you noticed that when life is hard, when life is difficult, when life is surprising, few people remain neutral to God? Uh, You notice that most often when there's suffering and difficulty and crisis, people either move towards God Or they move away from God, and that's what suffering will introduce. It'll introduce that kind of fork into all of our lives. Where on the one hand we're either going to move closer to the presence of God that we need, or we're going to move away. And so, for some in crisis and difficulty, what you discover, and and you've already discovered this in your life, it's that it's in the difficulty that you discover that you're not alone, and it's in the difficulty you discover that the God of peace is with you, and you enjoy greater intimacy with God, and yet for others, the harder life gets, the less I want of God. The harder life gets, the less I even see a need for God. And so maybe you even know someone who in the last few weeks uh, has responded to all of this by throwing up their hands and saying, I'm done with God. And so if those are the two movements, if those are the two choices, the question is, what's the difference In suffering, in crisis, in difficulty, what is the difference between those who move closer to the God of peace and the presence we were made for and those who move away? And the difference that we see in verse 8 is wisdom. That the practice that we get in verse 8 is the practice of wisdom. And we see that wisdom leads to us experiencing and seeking the God of peace. Let's read the verse together, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You could summarize that verse with the instruction, be wise, practice wisdom. So what is wisdom? What it's not is wisdom is not information. Uh, wisdom is not the ability to access information. Wisdom's not the ability even to retain information. We we all know plenty of people who are good with information but bad at life, because information does not amount. To wisdom. As a society, we are overloaded with information. We have unprecedented access to information, and and much of that has simply amounted to a world of people who have discovered new ways to be foolish. Uh, Right now, because of all that's going on, there's information overload. There is headline after headline, and what that does, uh, access to information gives us the illusion of power but it does not make one wise. Wisdom is different. If I'm just looking at this verse, if I'm looking at verse 8 and trying to offer a clear and simple definition of wisdom, it would it would be this that wisdom is to think God's thoughts. Wisdom is to think God's thoughts and to think God's thoughts in every circumstance. Wisdom is to think the way God thinks. It's to see the world the way that God sees the world. Follow me. Here's where I'm getting that. That this list, it says what's true and what's honorable and what's just and what's pure and what's lovely and commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise. And there's a question. Before this means anything to us, there's a question you have to ask about this list. Before you even answer what do these words mean, you have to ask according to who? Like you could take a lot of people and ask them what's true, and they're going to have different definitions of what's true. You could take even more people and ask what is worthy of praise, and you're going to have a lot of people disagree with one another about what's worthy of praise. And so who gets to decide? God does. The maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the one who was and who is and who is to come, he gets to decide. And that's the point that the very first step towards wisdom is to look at a list like this and to adopt God's values and to adopt God's definitions. Like I'm asking the question, what does God think is true? What does God think is honorable? What does God think is worthy of praise? These are his thoughts. These are God's thoughts. And then what's the instruction? At the end of this list, he says to do something. Think about these things. What God would call true, what God would call lovely, think about it. Uh, Think God's thoughts. And this is at least part of what it means to be wise. God tells us what to do with our thoughts. Have you ever thought about that? I think it's easy, at least for me, uh, to believe, okay, God cares what I do. God cares about my actions. God certainly cares about what I say, uh, and he does, but that's not where he starts. Uh, He begins with our thoughts and our desires. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't just go after murder. He goes after murderous thoughts. He doesn't just go after adultery. He goes after adulterous thoughts and desires. Throughout the Bible, over and over again, we see about God that he cares about what we think about. Paul uh, comes to the conclusion in his beautiful book of Romans by saying, therefore, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God cares about what we think about. If, if I were to reverse this list and I were to put it negatively, maybe, maybe that's helpful for us understanding what, what Paul's getting at. If he were to say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is not true, whatever is not honorable— whatever is not worthy of praise whatever is not lovely whatever is not pure don't think about these things don't uh, dwell on these things instead think about the things that god thinks about and think the way that god thinks to think god's thoughts makes us wise so global pandemic economic cross uh, crisis Loss of control in so many areas, working from home, no longer have a job, you are sick, you know someone who is sick. In all of that, what have you been thinking about? God cares. Uh, God cares how you think, and God cares what you think. Have you, in the last few weeks, in the last month, have you been thinking God's thoughts? Have you been wise? Has your response been wise? Let me answer for me, and hopefully this helps. Not really. And I say not really because the wise response is just not the natural one. And if I'm being honest, that's not the natural bent of my thoughts towards God's thoughts or towards wisdom. Here are the the two most natural responses as it relates to where we go with our thoughts in a time like this. Distraction and despair the two most common reactions of what we do with our thoughts is distraction and despair. And it's important to talk about them. They're both foolish. And it's important to talk about them so that we can war against them with wisdom. So I said distraction. Here's what distraction is. Distraction is I will escape my thoughts. Distraction is I will escape and I will numb my thoughts and my feelings. COVID-19 Uh, a failing economy, being quarantined, uh, you know, mandated uh, stay-at-home rules from the government. It's confrontational. It disrupts life. And it has a way of churning the heart and the mind and revealing things that we think and feel that we wish we didn't. My daughter Addie, she has a... uh, snow globe from the movie Frozen, the first one, which is the better of the two. But she has this snow globe from Frozen, so it's got Elsa and Olaf in the middle of this glass globe, and uh, it's got all this you know fake snow in it. And so you shake it. I know that you know how a snow globe works. You shake it, and all these little snow flurries fill the water. And here's what's true about it. All those snow flurries are always in that little globe, but uh, if it's just sitting still, they've settled at the bottom. But when there's movement, uh, when she picks it up and when she shakes it in her hands, all that had settled at the bottom fills the water because of the movement, because of the shaking. And look, that is us. When things are normal, there are things that settle in our hearts and in our minds, and they're mostly undisturbed. But when our world shakes— what was unseen or even what was unknown to us fills the water of our life. And it's not snow flurries. It's pride and it's lust and it's anger and it's resentment. It's the uh, feeling like I'm all alone. It's the coming to grips with how distant I've been from God. And that's happening. If If you're honest, that's happening. I've been shaken and you've been shaken. And look, the control that I thought was a struggle but I didn't really know was a huge problem all of a sudden fills the water of my life. And the fear that a stable world leaves hidden all of a sudden fills my mind in a world that is breaking, and the conflict between husband and wife that maybe comes out as a small fight uh, every few weeks or maybe once a month is now demanding to be talked about every day, and the things that I thought I simply enjoy, I realized I actually have been worshiping, and it took loss to reveal idolatry, and I've been shaken, and the shame that I feel around my parenting and my parenting failures that is easy to ignore when i I get a break from my kids is now all I can think about because parenting is all that I'm doing and life is shaken. And what do you do? Like the water of your life and my life are filled with things that require God's help. And the wise response is to think God's thoughts. The wise response is to look and say, okay, what is true and what is noble and what is worthy of praise? and, and, And if all of this Is revealing areas of my life where I need to grow in trust and areas of my life where I need to invite the grace of the gospel of Jesus to cover. And I'm asking what's true and I'm asking what's worthy of praise. I can look and I can say, in all of that shaking, God, you are exposing me not to abandon me, but to change me. And I can see God's invitation to walk in wisdom, which will lead me to Jesus. The foolish response is to choose distraction. To see the waters of my life filled with things that God wants to address and things that God wants to heal. And instead of thinking his thoughts, I just escape. Instead of thinking his thoughts, I numb. Because I don't want to deal with what this is revealing about my lack of faith, and I don't want to deal with what this is revealing about my continued struggles, and I don't want to deal with what this is revealing about my insecurity or my lack of communing with him or my conflict or my feelings of emptiness. And so instead of thinking God's thoughts, I will escape thinking altogether. I will escape into streaming all the shows because there's no shortage of entertainment to consume. Instead of thinking God's thoughts, I will numb what I'm feeling. I will medicate. I will overeat, or I will undereat, or I will start drinking, or I will start drinking more. Instead of thinking about what is pure, I will go online and look for what God forbids, because escaping into what is cheap and easy and temporary is easier. Foolishness is easier than wisdom. Instead, Of thinking God's thoughts, I will busy myself. I will work harder. I will come up with tasks. I will stay busy in my mind so I don't have to be honest with my thoughts. And what a waste. What a waste if, when all of this passes, all I have to show for it is that I binged more shows and I grew more afraid and I accomplished more tasks and I got even better at avoiding the parts of me that God wants to change. What a waste. Distraction is me simply trying to cope in these circumstances, and God wants more for you than that. God doesn't want you to cope. God wants you to be conformed into the image of his Son. God wants to use this that you might be changed into the likeness of Christ. Think God's thoughts, what is true, and what is excellent, and what is worthy of praise is that God ordains every circumstance of my life for my good. And so I don't want to escape my thoughts. I don't want to numb my feelings. I want to think God's thoughts, and I want to embrace the sanctification that He wants to bring about in my life through everything, including this. And that's going to amount to being committed to practices, like wisdom and rejoicing and talking to God and being kind, that's going to amount to committed to practices that help direct my thoughts to Him and help me take my needs to Him, and so that's going to amount to more time in Scripture, not less, that's going to amount to more time in prayer and more time in community as we are able, because choosing wisdom is going to be reflected in how I spend these days. Not distracted, but wise. Wisdom's not distraction. Wisdom is also not despair. And here's despair despair is to look around and to see the disease, to see everything shutting down, to see the loss, and to say, nothing is honorable, and nothing is lovely, and nothing is worthy of praise which is to say that God is not at work. He's left us. We said last week that one of the most important things a Christian can do during this time is to lament, and that's true. One of the most Christian responses to a global tragedy, into a global crisis, is to grieve. To grieve what's not good. To grieve what breaks God's heart. To grieve the loss of life and to grieve the loss of job. And so, it's it's not. We do not respond. Uh, we don't cheapen tragedy by forcing a smile and reciting some sort of platitude, right? When life is hard, we grieve in a way that honors God, and that is a true response, and that is a response that is just, and that is a response that is righteous. But to grieve in a godly way is to grieve believing that God is present and that he's listening, that we cry out to God, that we ask God our questions in the midst of this. Despair is different than that. Despair is different than lament, and it's different than godly grief. Despair reacts to what's wrong in the world in a way that says God is absent or he doesn't care. To look at what is happening, despair looks at all that's happening and says it's all bad, it's all ugly, it has no meaning. God can't use this. I lost my job and it's senseless. My life is changing in ways I don't want it to and it's all worthless. And despair ultimately says I refuse to hope. I refuse to hope, because hope makes you vulnerable. Hope is what got me here, maybe, and hope is what got me hurt, and so what if I continue to hope, and what I hope for doesn't come true, and then I feel like a fool, and so I will despair. I will assume the worst. There is nothing good. God is not at work. This is senseless, and if you despair, if you refuse hope, If you say nothing is lovely and nothing is good and everything is ugly, then you will miss God. If everything is ugly, eventually you will call ugly what is beautiful and you will call meaningless what is actually God at work and you will live a life surrounded by beauty that you misjudged and surrounded by God's presence that you never enjoyed. Look, you can be a fool, friend, by being naive about the difficulty in the world and by being naive about how bad things are, but you can also be a fool by allowing despair to blind you to the beauty and goodness and presence of God in the world. Wisdom is different than that. Wisdom says something different. Wisdom speaks a better word than that. Despair says it's all ugly. There is no beauty. Wisdom says I not only hope for good and not only seize the beauty, but wisdom believes in a God who can bring beauty from ashes. Wisdom says uh, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Wisdom says in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Wisdom says, I hope in a God that turns mourning into dancing. And I hope in a God that turns weeping into laughing. And I hope in a God who shines brightest in the darkness. And that doesn't make me a fool. According to God's word, that makes me wise. It makes me think God's thoughts. And what wisdom like that, wisdom that holds on to hope, wisdom that sees through God's eyes, what it will produce in us in times like these, gosh, this is what I'm so eager for us to believe, church. What it will produce in us in times like these is a godly wonder What I mean by that is if I'm not given over to distraction or despair, if I'm asking about every circumstance, what is true, what is worthy of praise, I will wonder about every circumstance. Where is God at work? I will ask wise questions. And I know many of you are already asking wise questions. You're asking questions like, what is God showing our world in all this? What is God showing my family in all this? What is God showing me in all of this? And that's a wise response, to wonder where is the hand of God at work. Here's what I've been wondering. Not in a way to minimize people's pain, but in a way to look for God's hand, in a way to look for what's lovely, in a way to look for what's worthy of praise. I've been wondering what this means for our church, looking for God at work. Like last week, we had more people join our service online than we have had attend our church in our church's history. And that wasn't just true for us. That was true for churches all over the world. And I wonder about that. If I'm thinking God's thoughts, if I'm looking for what's lovely, I wonder if for some of us it took global crisis to cut us off from every other Sunday morning option so that I would sit on my couch and I would be reminded that God is in control, or maybe I would hear for the first time that there is a God who loves me, and maybe that's you right now, and maybe you're watching this right now, and you're only watching this because of the circumstance that we're in, and in any other circumstance, you wouldn't be here right now, but because of all of this, you're sitting and you're watching and I want you to know that that is the God of heaven's pursuit of you because he loves you. And that is true, and that is lovely, and that is worthy of praise. I also wonder for our church, I wonder what it's going to be like for us to finally get to gather together together again. I don't know when, but for some of you, think about this, for some of you, if this lasts two months, it will be the longest you've gone your entire adult life without walking into a church building, maybe the longest you've gone your entire life. And so can you imagine when we gather what we will no longer take for granted when we finally get together again? Can you imagine how wonderful that will be? Imagine the celebration. Imagine how loud we will sing. Imagine how good it will be together. Imagine how you'll finally start laughing at my jokes, right? Imagine how we will linger together longer than normal because we can't now, but we can then. And if what God is doing, I wonder, if what God is doing is increasing in the church, a hunger to be the church, that is lovely, and that is excellent, and that is worthy of praise. I wonder in my home what God is doing in my home and maybe homes throughout our church. Like Carrie and I have been talking for some time about how we want to get a better rhythm for worshiping as a family in our home. And last Sunday, we joined the service just like you did, and we had no choice but to worship as a family in our home. And I don't think online church is ideal, but at least for me, It forced in my home and is forcing in my home what I desire, but what I so easily neglect. And I see God doing that in so many ways. One of the stories of my life is that God shows his grace to me by forcing on me what I know is good, but left to myself what I would Neglect, And I just think about that throughout our church, what this means for our families and what this means for our homes, as I think about the number of moms and dads who sat last week and just now and read the Bible and the children watching and what's being seared into their minds and their hearts is the time in our life when we did church in our living room. And I wonder if what God is doing is helping strengthen our homes by introducing rhythms of worship and Prayer together that maybe just maybe last even after all this is over, and that is lovely and excellent and true and worthy of praise. And in our hearts, I wonder if what God is doing in us Christians, if God is rekindling in us collectively a longing for Him and a longing for His presence. This is the promise of verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. And this is where we come back to the fork in the road, that this is going to push us one way or the other closer to him or further from him. And what's true is we do not long for the God of peace near as much when things are well as we do when things are difficult. And wisdom will lead me, and wisdom will lead you to see this crisis as a gracious reminder that what you and I most need is God, the God of peace. Two weeks ago, I was in Israel, and we got out on a boat and went out onto the Sea of Galilee. And the day that we went out, the water was really calm, as calm as can be. It looked like glass And on the boat, we read the story of when Jesus walks on water in the middle of the storm. And so as I'm reading that story to to our group that are there on a boat on the Sea of Galilee where that story happened, it uh, felt a bit anticlimactic for me in some ways because I'm reading this story about this sea that's in chaos and I'm reading this story about life-threatening waves, and I'm reading this story about dangerous winds, and I'm on the sea where that happened, and you look around, and it's calm. There's nothing threatening about the water at all. And it made me wonder, it made me think about this. I wonder how the disciples would have reacted differently to Jesus if he came walking on the water when everything was fine. If he stepped on the sea when everything was okay in the boat, how do they respond differently? Sure, they marvel, and they're impressed, and they see the miracle, but it's different. It's different that he comes in the storm, because it's in the storm that they feel helpless, maybe like you do right now. It's in the storm that they see their limits. Maybe, like what you're seeing in your life right now, it's in the storm that they feel their frailty, maybe in the same way you feel frail now. And it's different that he comes in the storm. To see him walking in the storm is to see him stepping on the waves that are crashing into the boat and to see him unthreatened by what they are no match for. And that goes beyond being impressed with him and that leads to a desperation for him to see him in my need is to see him as the one that I most need. The great gift of the storm is not that you make it out of it. It's not that you even make it through it safely. The great gift of the storm is that God meets you in it and we see him and we long for him in ways that we wouldn't on the days when the water stays calm. If. If that's what God is doing in my heart, if that's what God is doing in your heart, then it is lovely and excellent and worthy of praise. Be wise, friends. Think God's thoughts. Don't let distraction in this time rob you of more of Jesus. Don't let despair blind you to the beauty of God still at work. And let the God of peace be with you. Father, we love you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness to us. We need you, God. We need your presence. We need these promises. We need help. We need you to lead us. As as for many of us, what this is doing is it's uh, revealing to us things in our hearts and in our life that only you can heal and that only you can change, and that only you, God, are are loving enough and patient enough and gracious enough to meet with love. So we need you. We need your thoughts. We need your eyes. Would you make us a people who are wise? What if, God, the story of this season for so many of us is there's this long list of things that maybe we lost, but one of the things that we gained was wisdom and in gaining wisdom, more of you. We ask that from you. In Jesus' name, amen.